Uh, this morning I'm going to do Barney's Business Basics number eight, and uh, I'm going through a short history of business, how business has evolved through time. Uh, and uh, I'm on the last of four segments about business, and I've been talking about the company structure. So in Barney's Business Basics number seven, I talked about how businesses were organized from the very beginning of us doing business up to about the year 1500, and I was talking about the city-states of Italy, uh, particularly Venice and Florence, and how much influence they had on the kind of um, businesses uh, that we that we had back then and, and how they've evolved to the business we have of today. And uh, I'd like to pick up from that point. So uh, between the years 1500 and 1750, uh, businesses, uh, in the Western world anyway, were dominated by, uh, or at least the things that got all the headlines were, uh, businesses that were called uh, chartered companies. Uh, there are some very famous ones and probably the oldest companies that we call commercial companies uh, that are still in existence today came from this time. Uh, the, probably the oldest one is called the Hudson's Bay Company. It's uh, based in Canada. Uh, and these were companies that were given a charter by the king or queen or by whoever uh, you know was the uh, reigning power at that time. And in exchange for a charter, the company would give money to the crown. This was a way that the crown bought loyalty. This was a way that the crown uh, raised taxes. Um, um, and uh, it was a very political thing. In order to get a charter from, from the king, you had to be in the king's good graces and convince the king that giving a charter to you and your group was worth doing. So it was, it was quite hard to, um, to to, to, to get a charter. Not too many people had a charter. And the, the big value of the charter was that it spread the uh, ownership out amongst a group of people. And it was a way of, uh, of, um, of a large number of people raising a fair amount of money for these big risky ventures, things like building a ship and sailing uh, to the other side of the earth and, and trading. So some of the famous uh, companies of this time were the Dutch East India Company, uh, which um, today, uh, you know, the, the remnant of that company is the Shell Oil Company, uh, the British East India Company, which basically colonized India and turned India into a sort of a, a, a personal fiefdom of, of the United Kingdom. Uh, the Mississippi Company here in the New World uh, was famous uh, for the tremendous crash uh, and the amount of money that was lost in France uh, over the Mississippi Company. Uh, another famous one was the South Sea Company. Um, there were lots of problems with these companies. Uh, 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 but they had a couple good things. The number one is that because it was a charter, the, basically the Crown was saying, this company isn't a person, it's an association. And uh, that gave it a status a little different than just that of a um, a person. Another thing that was a big important thing that allowed them to take the risk was the notion of limited liability. The, the, the company would not have to pay for its losses beyond the losses themselves or beyond the risk uh, involved. In other words, if you raise money for a venture and you lost the whole thing, well, you lost all your money and that's bad. But then the the owners of the company weren't held additionally liable. In other words, they didn't have their hands cut off and they weren't sent to prison or executed. 
um, and their heirs were not responsible for their debts, which was common previous to this. Um, uh, but there were a lot of uh, uh, problems uh, with this. Uh, obviously, it was very political. Whether you got this charter or not depended on who you knew. A lot of intrigue. Uh, it led to a lot of speculation. Uh, one of the most famous crashes of all time was the tulip craze in Holland uh, in the 1600s. I won't go into it here, but for uh, a very short period of time, a tulip bulb was the most expensive thing in the world, any tulip bulb, uh, and they were trading at astronomical prices. Uh, how, how we got there, it's almost, you know, you, you almost couldn't make it up, but it did happen. Um, it, it reads for an interesting story, and if you're interested in these kind of things, uh, just, you know, you know, just type into Google the Dutch tulip craze, of, you know, I think it was 1630-something, uh, and, uh, and uh, you'll, you'll see lots of material about it. It makes it for very interesting uh, reading. Uh, there were also questions, always questions about boundaries and regulations. The, the, once the crown got their money, they didn't really care about regulating these companies. And there were a lot of excesses and there was a lot of poaching and there were a lot of uh, disputes about who had what and who owned what. And it just led to a lot of tension and a lot of friction. Uh, one of these um, uh, companies particularly uh, is noteworthy here in the United States because when the Crown gave a monopoly to a company for the United States for tea, uh, it's, it produced the spark that became the American Revolution. And, I, and every American uh, uh, student, uh, you know, anyone who's come up through our schools has certainly heard about the Boston Tea Party and uh, what happened when the colonists living in Massachusetts decided that they had had enough and they weren't going to pay this new tax on tea because that's, the, what, that's what ended up happening was that the price of everything went up because it wasn't regulated and these were monopolies and people could just charge whatever they wanted. Um, because of some of the excesses, because the, because the economies were expanding, because we were coming into the industrial age, for a, a lot of reasons, uh, we we needed something a little more, a little more flexible, a little more friendly for business in order to tackle the challenges of the new age. And slowly, 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 we got to something called the Joint Stock Company Act in the United Kingdom in 1856. And um, again, how we got to 1500 to 1856 makes really interesting reading, but it's it's too much for what I'm trying to do here, which is just to give you a little bit of an overview of the history of business. But in 1856, Parliament enacted a law that allowed a, an association of people to register to become a company without getting a charter. And this registration allowed you to buy and sell stock. So if you didn't, if somebody in the association didn't want to be an owner anymore, they could sell their stock to somebody else. And it, it limited the liability as had been done in previous enterprises, but it limited the liability just to the amount of money that was in the company. Uh, and um, it, it didn't take off like a rocket ship, but there was enough interest in it that people started using it. And then slowly uh, in 1863, France came along and passed a similar law. And in 1870, Germany came along and passed a similar law. I think it started sweeping Europe uh, mostly for political reasons, because if one country got a little bit of an advantage, then other countries 
followed suit. They didn't want to be left behind. And so uh, by, you know, the end of the 1800s or the 19th century, uh, most of Western Europe had rules that allowed these joint stock companies with limited liabilities to exist uh, because Europe had been around for a long time and the rules and regulations were um, pretty uh, set into their culture. The, the traditions were pretty uh, long-standing and uh, long-held. And uh, because none of the economies in Europe were that big, uh, this thing just might have tootled along. Uh, but what happened is that even though this concept was born in the UK, it got incubated and blossomed and actually more than blossomed, it blew up in the United States. And the United States was the proving ground for all of these new concepts. And it was like, it was like an explosion of creativity and an explosion of business enterprise that came about uh, basically after the American Civil War. Uh, again, this concept didn't even exist until 1856. We had our American Civil War in 1861 to 1865. And it was after that, that this uh, idea of a joint stock company with limited liability that didn't need to be chartered, could just you could just register and go, um, uh, th th this really took off uh, in the 1870s and beyond. And uh, this uh, concept was used to finance the railroads and it was used uh, really to drive almost every business enterprise of the time. And um, it produced some phenomenal uh, names in business history and some phenomenal companies and I'll name just a few. Um, uh, but because the United States was so big and so untapped and so open, uh, it, it just drew people from all over the world because you could come here and make your fortune. You could come to here. Most of the people came from Europe, although they came from other places too, and you could make a lot of money. And so, so many of these people uh, who became so wealthy and so well known in our in our a culture, you know, as titans of business, were first or second generation immigrants, and and um, they came here expressly for the purpose of trying to make their mark uh, on the world. And so um, uh, these people built the railroads. Uh, they became our uh, the, the retailing became big, uh, and so we have the name of Sears, uh, Sears Roebuck and Company, and we have Macy's, and we have Marshall Fields. That all happened. Uh, in the late 1800s, uh, we had manufacturing that started actually a little later, but the big name there would be in the early 1900s with Henry Ford. Um, we'd have the oil uh, barons, and the most well-known there is, is John Rockefeller and the Standard Oil Company. Uh, there were so many titans of industry. Uh, some of them were, were maybe miserly and kept their money to themselves, like Cornelius Vanderbilt, and even though he did some philanthropic philanthropic things. He was considered uh, by many to be the richest person in the country uh, at the time uh, of his life. And uh, I think he mostly kept his money to himself and to his heirs. Uh, and then on the other spectrum, you had somebody like Andrew Carnegie, who gave almost all of his money away, and he gave it away to form free libraries all over the country. 
uh, and the, the great library tradition that we have in this country basically came from Andrew Carnegie, who made a fortune uh, in steel. Uh, Cornelius Vanderbilt made a fortune uh, first in ferries, uh, uh, transportation was his thing, and then in, in railroads. Um, so, uh, you know, the, every one of these stories in and of themselves are fascinating, but it was this new land uh, of America, uh, the wild, wild west for business. It was the wild, wild west in other ways. Uh, you see it in movies with gunslingers and stuff, but it was also the wild, wild west for business. There were very few regulations, uh, and so uh, a lot of these people did things that produced negative results and had a backlash, and I could name one or two of them. I mean, uh, some of the working conditions were punishing and very, were, were very, we, what today we call inhumane. Um, uh, there was lots of exploitation of workers, and, and so a backlash was the, 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 uh, the workers' movement and the, and the push for unions. Uh, we, I can go on and on. Uh, when you have a, a new thing, and it's not regulated, people just do whatever they want. And some people are wonderful and honorable and always do the right thing. And some people are not wonderful and honorable and don't always do the right thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I think along with philanthropy and the, uh, and, and, and the desire to do good, you also have a lot of people who want to take and uh, don't want to do good. And so you always have this uh, back and forth, and slowly, 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 over the last 150 years, we have regulated business to some extent. So there are things you can't do. Uh, for instance, in the early 1900s, uh, the Congress passed a law requiring accountability uh, so that shareholders in a company could see the books. Up to that point in time, uh, you know, shareholders didn't have the right to see the books of a company, and an owner could do, you know, the owners could do whatever they want and not tell the shareholders what they were doing. So, just example after example, where slowly we became more and more accountable and 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 more and more um, uh, 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 regulated. And I think most people would say that the accountability and the regulation has been a good thing. It's funny for me to hear people complain about too much government regulation today. Most of the people who are complaining about too much government regulation probably would not go back, would not want to go back to the time where there was no government regulation of any kind because in, in that environment a lot of people got hurt. And, and so uh, I'll bring this chapter to a close. Uh, I'd like to make a couple points about the, the structure of business, and that is today the dominant form of business is the um, is, is what today we would call an LLC, a subchapter S, or a, or a, a C Corp. Uh, these are all um, uh, limited liability joint stock companies, meaning that there is one or more owners uh, and their stock, uh, and the liability is limited to the uh, the money that's in the enterprise, and uh, we take this form of of structure for granted. Uh, but it's really not very old. It didn't become prevalent till a little more than a hundred years ago in the late 1800s in the United States. So it's a very young form, and it's still evolving. But we we think it's been around forever because it's all we've known. 
but actually it's very, very young and very, very new. Uh, it has some tremendous advantages, and, and, and real quick, um, I'll go into what the advantages are. Number one, you don't need a charter. You don't need to know the boss. You don't need to play politics to open a company. You can just open a company. Uh, that is a tremendous thing. That means that any one of you listening to this, anybody listening to me, anybody anywhere could just start a company. Well, uh, that has not been true for most of human history, but that is true now, which is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, the, the second thing is that the liability is limited. So if you screw up and you totally blow this company and run it under the rocks and, it's, and you destroy it, the worst that's going to happen to you is that you will lose your investment uh, and you'll go bankrupt. Uh, going bankrupt isn't fun and I don't recommend it and I hate to see people go bankrupt, but believe me, that's a lot better outcome than having uh, your life taken from you or being thrown into debtor's prison, which is what happened to people uh, in an earlier time. And then the other wonderful thing about this company structure is that you can sell it. Uh, you can sell ownership to, you can either sell partial ownership to somebody else in the form of stock, or you can sell the whole company to somebody else. That generally wasn't possible until very recently as well. So um, these three things make this a wonderful invention and have allowed business to just grow and flourish and become uh, uh, the model that it is today. Now almost everybody in the world works for a joint uh, stock, a limited liability company, and we take it for granted. Uh, but uh, th this is actually a very new thing and in my opinion a wonderful thing. Uh, if, if, if we didn't have this structure, I probably couldn't have started my business. And uh, if we didn't have this structure, most of you probably couldn't have started your business either. So uh, be thankful that uh, things have turned out the way they are. Okay, so that's it for my, uh, for my four chapters on the history of business. I find the whole thing fascinating, and I think there's lots of wonderful stories in here. Some of them have made uh, great novels. Some of them make interesting reading, even when they're not a novel. I would like to um, give a nod to a book that I've borrowed on heavily for this information. The book is called The Company, uh, A Short History of a Revolutionary Idea. Um, it's, uh, it's uh, well, the, the, the authors are John uh, Micklethwaite, let me see if I can get his name right, and Adrian Woolridge. Uh, again, that's The Company, A Short History of a Revolutionary Idea. It's a, it's a, it's a, short book. It's an easy read, fascinating reading, and it, uh, it's got a lot of annotations and bibliography uh, entries so that you can do further uh, reading if you have an interest. Uh, but um, I want to give a tip of the hat to these two because they've done a wonderful job of summarizing uh, the structure of the company from the very beginning of time to today. Okay, that's my Barney's Business Basics number eight. I will be back next Saturday with the next installment of Barney's Business Basics.